He is Esther Berkey, international book writing expert, author and life coach. And I'm so excited to have Lisbeth Meredith with me. She's a writer, speaker and online teacher based in Alaska with a bachelor's degree in journalism and a master's degree in psychology. She has worked as a domestic violence advocate and a child abuse investigator. Her memoir, Pieces of Me, Rescuing My Kidnapped Daughters, won five awards and is currently optioned for television adaptation. So welcome, Lisbeth. I'm so thrilled to have you today. Oh my goodness. I am so glad to be with you today, Esther. I'm so thankful that you had me on your show. Wonderful mm -hmm. to be here. So Lisbeth, let's jump right into your life story. What has been your turning moment in your life? I think there there have been a couple, but one of the most pivotal moments was a day that I went to pick my children up from daycare and they weren't there. And they were not only at the daycare, they were four and six years old. We were living in Alaska. They weren't in Alaska. They weren't in the country anymore. And they were far away. Their father had taken them. We'd been divorced for four years. And he took the children and disappeared out of country. And that was one of those moments where it was like an out-of-body experience. But I remember thinking when I was a younger person, I would be different than my family. You know, I would not have a dramatic life for my own children. Someday I would be a mother and there wouldn't be divorce. There wouldn't be any domestic abuse. There wouldn't be parental kidnappings. Our lives would be very stable. I would, I would be so much better than what I'd grown up with. And when my children were missing, it dawned on me how much I just replicated everything that my family had gone through. And so it was a really big moment of there's life before the abduction and life after the abduction. And it was always a huge change having gone through that. But it was also that moment of, am I going to persevere and, and find my children? I owed them that. I had gotten them in a situation in a way, not meaning to, but, but put them at risk by doing something that people think domestic abuse survivors should do. People will tell you, well, if only women was, and men can be affected too, but if only the victims made better choices, then this problem would go away. Um, if only she would, you know, make a good choice, then, then the problem would disappear. And I had made choices to keep myself and my kids safe. And it culminated into this. So I have to say that that moment I decided I would fully engage in this battle. I made $10 an hour at the time. This was a hundred thousand dollar problem. And yet it was really clear that I needed to do everything I could to get my daughters back. Wow, what a story. And this story you wrote in your book, right? Correct. How come that you wrote it down? Was it a sort of healing? Well, 
you know, I think it's, it's funny. It, I, I feel almost bad saying this, but I always wanted to be a writer when I was a kid, you know, and I would write really tragic poems. And, you know, in the end, I always died and people were really sad. And uh, <laughs> so, so for a long time, when I was little and idealistic, I wanted to be a writer. But then, you know, life goes on, and it seems unrealistic. And you have kids and all the things. So it was like, you know, I, I needed to make money and just live my life. But it really was a story that wanted, that needed to be told, because I think it was the worst in life sometimes brings out the best in humanity. And so as I went on this journey to get my children back, yes, sometimes people would say the wrong things because we're human, or sometimes, you know, bad things happened when I engaged the police department or the state department or whatever. It wasn't perfect at all. In fact, sometimes it was downright corrupt. But for the most part, really, what happened was I got to see a whole lot of kindness and people who didn't have to give did and people who didn't need to care cared. And people said, you know, how can I walk alongside you? And those kinds of things were pretty miraculous. And I didn't want to lose that. My children needed to know that it wasn't me who got them back. It was the movement back then that that inspired a lot of good goodwill from different people around the world, from Germany, people I'd never met in Greece, you know, where my kids were um, for two years. My kids were missing for two years, a little more than two years, but the kindness of strangers was amazing and how it all came together really was the stuff of movies. And so I wanted, when there was enough healing to be able to write about that. When did you start writing the story? Oh, did you I am journaling all the way long during these two years when you were missing your children? Sadly, uh, I don't journal when it's super happy times. So I did journal when the kids were in Greece and especially when I made two different trips to try to find them. Um, so I have my journals from there. And so I, it, it is sad really because there's so many good things even now that happen in my life, but the human tendency is for the brain to go straight to the negative. And there's really beautiful things happening all around. But so I have my journals from then, but as soon as I returned with my children uh, to Alaska, two years plus after they were missing, my old psychology of women professor in my undergraduate degree, she said, I want you to come to my house and make cassette tapes of what happened. And I'll watch the kids. I don't care if you're going to write about it now or later, but someday I promise you, you're gonna want to remember what happened. And this was in 1996, when the kids came back, May 24th of 1996. So I didn't start writing for a couple of years yet because truthfully, Esther, the worst was about to happen. It, the worst thing wasn't the kids disappearing and going away for two years the healing journey and all the things that continue to come out for the children. That was the hard part really. And so I started writing in the nineties and the late nineties after, after they returned. And I only had a couple of minutes a day. And I want your listeners to, to, if you're writing a book or if you're thinking about it, be encouraged that you don't have to have an hour a day. I know there are a lot of writing coaches that say, wake up at five in the morning, you can do this, but depends on your life. 
you know, you may have kids at home, you may have two jobs. Sometimes I had a paper route and a full-time job and was in graduate school, but you can find those 15 minutes maybe in your car between meetings or between whatever. And I would start writing. It could be on a napkin. It could be on an envelope, a bill that I should have paid, but probably didn't. And, you know, it started to take some shape. And then eventually, like in the year of 2000 and something early in the 2000s, I went to a writer's conference and found out how bad my writing was, even though I had a degree in journalism. And so I joined a critique group and then I kept it up and still bad and then hired a writing coach eventually. So it took 20 years before I had a nice enough manuscript really. And before we were at a place of healing, I think sometimes as writers, we, we think, well, people just should want to know this because it was an amazing story, but really what does the listener or the reader take away? I have an audio book and, and, and it's a memoir as well, but what do they get to take away? What's in it for them? It took decades to really figure that out because I wasn't sure if I was at a place to tell that story yet. So it wasn't an easy process. What was your biggest fear? Um, I think when you write memoir, of course, it's affecting people horribly that are still alive or getting it wrong or upsetting someone who has a violent, you know, volatile tendency, such as my former husband, my mother could be a lot. Um, and they were, I didn't want to tell the story when they died, because to me, that sounded a little bit cowardly, like wait till they die. And then I'll say everything. But on the other hand, I didn't want to trigger them. So, you know, those were really big fears, but mostly I wanted to tell a story that the reader could take something away from, and it wasn't traumatizing to them that I didn't leave them with big scar tissue. Mm. So what finally helped you to, to publish this book? Was it a coach or was it friends who told you you have to publish it now or what was it? It's such a good question. I, I kept going to uh, writers conferences and it was at one of those conferences that a I, I wouldn't just attend passively. I would always bring work to submit to somebody. Even though I cringed, it made me feel sick inside because I knew they'd have awful things to say. I never did that without them telling me some amazing nugget of truth that I would take forward. So, and I really didn't go to that many of them because I wasn't that wealthy, but maybe four or five of them before I felt I was, you know, with my critique group that helped, but then writing coach, it helped. But at one of those conferences, the panelists said, look, this is a very traumatic story. He says, I remember when it happened, I lived in Alaska. It was hard for all of us to hear bits of it, even on the news. But I want you to first reassure your reader at the beginning of your story that your children are back. And that way they'll have the courage to be able to move forward with your story. So take care of them, everything that you do. And I think even when we're writing fiction, Esther, when we're writing nonfiction, fiction, whatever, we still need to remember to take care of our reader and to serve our reader. And so when I finally got to the place of, okay, it's time, I worked for 20 years as a juvenile probation supervisor and the lives of the children that I worked with there, they made mine look like child's play. I mean, I had nothing to complain about the things these kids had seen and experienced. 
And so I became a trainer of what's called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. So I learned to train new employees on this from around the state. And I remember getting that training and my oldest daughter called me at the while I was in the training of trainers. And she had something to tell me, but it was as though she made it all 3D. Like she had been so stunted by what happened to her in Greece that there was a time when she went away to college and it was a, what she felt like was another forced separation between us. So she got a scholarship and she attended college out of state and she just snapped. It was too much for her. And that was another one of those life moments where life was always going to be different. Um, she had what, you know, was a psychotic break and she talks about it pretty openly now, but she became like a little child again and had to live with me until she was almost 30. And so she, it really impacted her heavily. So when she called me, I was, at, as I was at the training of trainers, that's when I knew my beginning of the book, that this happened and it was in 3D for me. She had helped me understand what the beginning of the book was. And I had to finesse, how do I tell my story without telling her story? And so I wrote that several more times, but that was when I knew this does offer something to people around the globe. And people have to understand that trauma, if we don't unpack it carefully with professionals and with a lot of support, it does live in the body and it can create health problems and mental health problems that can literally kill us. And so that was when I knew it was like, okay, you know, it's time. I know the beginning of this story. I know where the end is and I can figure out how to write a parallel story. And so I was really at that moment, sad with, with my daughter, what, when we talked about it later, you know, how it became the beginning of the book, but, but also felt like, yes, this is it. It's it time. Wonderful. You found the parallel story to to the former story so you could really write the whole story that's right so thank you what made you publish then what what was how did it go with the publishing well it was very challenging because when i first came home from greece with my children a movie producer offered to option our story back then in 1996, which was pretty huge, but we knew someone up here who knew a movie producer. So they optioned it. I think they paid $2. And what that means is that they rent your story for a certain amount of time and nobody else can have it. And they often do it. Movie producers or movie companies will often option a story so that, that maybe they have another similar story coming out and they don't want your story to come out. So it can be this thing where they kind of keep you tamped down. It's not always meant to be a good thing. In the end, at the end of that option, they said, you know, you should write a book and maybe we'd reconsider. So by the time I finally understood how to write a book, the world of publishing changed. There weren't big contracts anymore, hardly for, for non-famous people. There was no limo to pick me up to take me to a book <laughs> launch or a publicist that was paid for by the... Uh, book publishing industry. So, you know, by the time I got ready to do it and I had gone through all those processes and learned how to write, I went to a literary agent. He said, I love this story. There's not one word I would change about the first, you know, three pages, not one. And I could never sell it to save my soul. Nobody cares. 
you're basically not a Kardashian. You're not a reality star. You're not a president. I wish you luck. I can't. I just can't. And I listened to him because I thought, you know, now at this point, I'm pretty older, you know, I don't have 20 more years to go on this. So, I mean, maybe I do, but it's, it's getting to the point where I better get serious. So I had looked around, queried a few people and then thought, you know, I'm doing this, but I don't have the chops to do it on my own and get book buzz. So I went to what's called a hybrid publisher. And so that can be, I want listeners to understand that can mean different things to different companies. And so not all hybrid publishing companies are the same. And sometimes people need to beware. But I looked at one that had really good reviews and that I was familiar with some of the people who worked there and thought this I will try. And so I did. And that meant that I had to upfront a lot of money myself to do the hard copies of the book. But I didn't have to upfront a lot of money. I think all writers need an editor, right? I desperately believe that people don't reach a point in their writing career where they don't need an unbiased set of eyes on their writing. Not your writing group, not your mom, not your dad. Hire someone. So I would have done that anyway and paid a good amount of money. That's not cheap. And probably had a couple of different edits by different editors. So it wasn't that expensive that I could say, oh, I would never, never pay that. It's just that I knew I wanted hard copies and I would need to upfront that. I write, wrote a grant and got some money toward that. So that helps, that can help. But that's how I decided to do it with a company that specifically looks at the stories of women. She writes press. And that was an interesting journey. And they were so committed and are so committed to helping their clients be a partner in the publishing process. So when things like metadata, you know, your book's cover, the back matter, um, the weight of your book, the title, all of the things, they really wanted my input. But then on the other hand, I didn't get final vote for everything because they knew better than I. I had a ridiculous title, Esther, that I was so committed to. And they're like, no, that's not happening. No one will find your book if you name it some obscure, ridiculous name. And that's how I decided to go. And for me on my first book, I am so excited that I did because they saved me from myself. <laughs> and when did you publish it? In the end of 2016. Okay, five years ago. Yes, it will be five years coming up in September. And you won five awards. I did. I did. But that was over time. So it doesn't just happen naturally. I think when a person, I decided that this book was worth it for me to pay attention to for a long time, that I would not just say, oh, I wrote a book. Let me run and write another. Not that that's a bad advice. It's just for me, this was always going to be that pivotal book that everything else was hinged on for me. So I, you know, really did want to try to win an award. I spent some money. I got a loan to get a public relations firm. A PR firm will help writers typically 90 days before a book comes out and 90 days after. But then a book writer still has to learn to be their own best publicist. And I really kept up my efforts, just kept them up, kept them up. And two years after I published was when I really started getting a lot more attention. I don't entirely know why people and book, book clubs up here and around the country did respond. 
And there were some things I was doing right, but it was two solid years after I published and I was out of country and got noticed that a movie company was looking at my book. I assumed they were scammers because that's how my mind thinks. I worked in probation, so I typically distrust. Um, but it turned out they were really nice, nice people. So I would say to listeners, if you've written a book, don't give up on it because our books can make us money and and help readers for 70 years past our death. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important to have the long view. Congratulations, Lisbeth. You Thank did you. you. Thank did you, it and You didn't give up. So I didn't. What would you say to our audience, the three most important advice? I would say definitely make sure that you do write in community that you have maybe a critique group and that's fine if you don't like critique groups, um, but then an editor or a writing coach, something for sure. I would say definitely develop that thicker skin. And this is something that I have, I wrote about this in an essay once that there are a lot of things, having my kids get kidnapped and taken to Greece, it really prepared me for the publishing world. <laughs> you develop a thick skin. And we need to, as writers, develop thick skins and understand feedback is not always positive and glowing. And efforts don't always turn out the way we'd hoped. And that's okay. We just keep trying and keep trying. So definitely develop a thick skin and persist. Keep moving forward. If it's a story of your heart, don't give it up. Don't listen to people who say, well, that story's already been written. Somebody else wrote it. Don't bother. Or, you know, isn't so-and-so going to be so mad at you if your book's a memoir? You know, someone's going to be so mad at you. Don't do it. There are ways to write memoir and conceal people's identities and still tell the story of your heart. And I would definitely say, I know this is more than your three, but look for the benefit your writing brings to the reader. And that's how you tell the first draft, write everything that comes to your mind, say all the names, say the mean things, write it all. Don't worry about it. But at some point in the process, get to the point where you're thinking, how does my story benefit the listener, the reader, all of that, depending on if you're doing audiobook also, you know, how does it benefit the reader? That's the story I want to be able to share. Mm, wonderful, Lisbeth. Um, where can people reach you? I would love it if people would reach me at lameredith.com. That's my website. Or they can listen to my podcast at Persistence You with Lizbeth. And that drops every Wednesday where podcasts are found. Thank you so much for asking that. I love to hear from people. Perfect. And one last word for our audience. You gave so much value already, but just one last word. Well, I think it is so exciting when you write your stories and you inadvertently, no matter if you're writing fiction or nonfiction, you give people permission to share their own stories. And that's such a beautiful connection. And so when people tell you books don't make you rich, you know, why are you bothering this and that? Well, it really depends on how you define rich. So I really want your listeners to keep up with their their own stories. And of course, every time you read a book, it, that is a privilege to the author. And so thank you all for doing that, right? For those of us who, who are in the writing field, that's just so terrific. 
Thank you so much, Lisa. It has been a pleasure to talk to you. It is always a joy to see you, Esther. And thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I have loved it. <laughs>